What's going on, guys? This is the Passive Wealth Strategies Podcast. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Taylor Lote. Today, our guest is Dave Franicky. Today, we're talking about a bunch of interesting and important aspects around the note business. We get into some into some weeds on contracts and contract issues that can be important for note investors. So, if you're someone, if you lit, if you listen to our kind of more general note investing interviews, this is going to be a great one to kind of step that education up and get more into the weeds with some details on note investing. Notes are a great opportunity for both active and passive investors, whether you want to invest using your your self-directed IRA or something like that, or you really want to build your own business, notes really have it all. So great opportunity. I recently got to spend some time with Dave Van Horn, one of the bigger note thought leaders out there, and learned some fantastic things from him. He's built a, an enormous note buying business. So spending time around these guys is a great way to learn that note business. For those of you out there who do not know, if you're new to the show, I'm your host, Taylor Lode. I'm a real estate investor. I'm a real estate syndicator. I buy multifamily real estate with passive investors, and I love talking about passive wealth building for busy professionals, helping you learn resources, strategies, and everything you need to know to go further in your passive wealth generation process. Once again, our guest is Dave Franicky. Here we go. Dave, thank you for joining us today. Hey, appreciate it. This is it's an, it's an honor and a pleasure to be with you. Happy to be talking with you as well. Can you tell us, uh, tell, your, tell our listeners about your history a bit before we kind of get into the topic? Yeah, so I've been around the real estate game for quite a while, going back to 1978. We were just laughing about that. Uh, whether it be fix and flips, rehab, developing, whatever, whatever. So at this point in time, after three different markets, being, meaning Cincinnati, Portland, Maine, and, and Phoenix, I'm focused in Phoenix, but I'm doing business nationally in the note business. It's a, it's a niche market. I'm buying, I broker, I sell, I keep notes, help people build their IRAs, get their 9 10% return, work with a lot of investors, putting deals together. But basically, it's, I'm in the paper business, and I really don't want to go back into the hard asset business, but you sometimes have to in notes when they go bad. But the paper for me is the ultimate because you, you can utilize all your past knowledge and apply it to you know, the lending, lending side of it. Not necessarily hard money, but just small seller finance, seller carry loans. And again, seller finance is going to be where the, is where the market's moving anyway, generically. Interesting. Why, why would you say the market's moving to seller finance? Well, if, because the spreads in the wholesaling are getting so skinny. For instance, in Phoenix, February of 20, compared to February of 19, listings are down 41%. Really? Really. So how do you compete with that? Or in Phoenix, the iBuyers are paying, and there's 20 of them, are paying 89 cents. As an investor, how can you compete with that? So what if you go in with seller finance? And you can offer full price and make more money than on a wholesale flip. Then you'd be a lot more competitive, right? Absolutely. So instead of closing, well, Phoenix, it's one in 20. Maybe you can close one in 10. Wow. And in and, and Phoenix, as of a few months ago, the average cost to get a wholesale deal was $9,000 in advertising per deal. Wow. Because of the competition. 
The average cost nationally is 6000 Geez. So what and, kind of assignment fees are people having to take just to re- remain you know, profitable? Because there's other, probably other costs that aren't even factored into that $9,000. Small, two, 3000 if that. They're, they're going out of business. They're getting hurt. They're not making money. So have you ever heard of CG, Collective Genius? No. It's a large mastermind around the country. So it's got 500 of the largest flippers in the country. They're, this is numbers from that group. The, the, the flippers are hurting. Maybe not in the small microcosm markets, but in the larger marketplaces that's where it's so competitive, it, it's killing them. Interesting. So the market has really uh, shifted over time. And are you you're seeing that shift in, uh, on the note side as well? Notes, right? Yeah. The, the, the product that I was really and still trying to play in was as the markets crashed in 08, Fannie, Freddie, whatever would buy, were selling large pools of non-performing, right? Or performing, they'd foreclose upon them. So companies like Harbor or Vision or Window Rock, they, they would buy pools of 100 and 200, and they do sell or carry land contracts. Contra- can, you, you know, can you explain that for us? Like what that what A land means? contract means that you own an asset, you own a home. And Bobby and Mary need a home to live in. They're in a, in the, they're in a prison box. You know, they, they can't get buy a home traditionally. So you offer them seller financing. You take back the mortgage. You offer financing to them, okay? Mm-hmm. So they might put down, in, I mean, the way it should be done is they'd put down 10%. Well, back in the day, they might've only put down a thousand bucks. And you figure out what they can afford to pay. The typical payment might've been three, $400 a month before taxes and insurance, right? Mm-hmm. So they get a home. So now time runs along and the investors in this pool, hedge fund, say, okay, it's time for us to go out. So the hedge fund sells. So I go in and I buy that paper. Now what, my, what the, the asset at, at that time might've been worth 30 grand. With appreciation over eight or 10 years, it might be worth 50, 60, 70, 80, whatever, right? So I buy that note, that mortgage, based upon the unpaid balance, the amount owed, okay? I take it over. It's assigned to me. So then I have a servicer, an independent servicing company to collect the payments, and I take the, I take the net result of that. Okay, and, and can you explain the uh, land contract? Uh, that, that's a particular term that you know, I've heard bounced around. I'm not really sure I understand what the specifically land contract means. Is that just okay. the, okay. the note? Okay, land contract synonymous might be contract for deed. You may have heard that. Okay. So basically I'm offering financing to you in with a land contract. I still keep the title to the property, but I, in effect, give you an option to buy that property at X price. It's an, it's, it's, it's an, a lease option is a hybrid of that. I'm sure you've heard of lease option before. Yep. yep. Okay. So and this is just a little bit different. Land contracts aren't looked upon very highly anymore by the AGs, attorney generals. Uh, so now it's going more to mortgages or deeds of trust. So you, I'm letting you in. You're in the penalty box because you don't, you cannot afford either your credit's bad or your job's not there with to qualify for the traditional mortgages. But I say you look like a great credit risk. Let's put you in this asset. You can be the owner. You can live there. You, you know, mama can set up shop, put the kids in school. You've got a home. Okay. Yeah. As long as you make the payments, you're good to go. If you don't make the payments with a land contract, I can basically just do an eviction and you're gone and I go do it again. If it's a mortgage or a deed of trust, I have to foreclose on you. Ah, uh, okay. And that's why the attorneys general 
don't care for the the land contracts because it's a bad position for the the buyer to be in. Well, there was a lot of abuses. Okay. They put the penalty box buyers in homes that weren't even inhabitable. They were so bad. Oh man. And like in Cincinnati Harbor had $400,000 in code violations. So they, 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 there was a lot of abuse. Mm. Now the, now the notes that I'm buying 10 years later from when they were conceived, you know, when they were created, there's, that's really good paper. Those people have been paying for 10 years. So the term that I like to use is called emotional equity. You know, they're locked in, in their brain, they love the house. They're not moving. They're not. And they also look at, if I were to go rent, I'm going to have to pay more than what I'm paying here. So why would I leave? That's true. So I mean, yeah. $500 a month and rent in a similar home is going to be nine. I, I'm incentivized to stay there. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. okay. Or so then taking it forward now, you've probably heard of subject twos. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you have an existing mortgage. You're the seller. And you're at par, meaning that you owe basically what the house is worth. So if you try to go sell it, what are you going to do? You can't do it. As a wholesaler, mm-hmm. you can't come in and buy it because there's, there's no spread there, right? Mm-hmm. So then I'm, so you're going to say, I'm going to sell or carry for you. You're the owner. You, Dave, can assume my mortgage. I, or in other words, I will assume your mortgage. I will take over the responsibility for that. You can go away. I might give you a few thousand dollars walking money, right? You've got a 4% interest rate. I can find a penalty box buyer and give me 10 or $15,000 and sell it to them at 7% on a 4% loan. So I can take that spread between the three and the seven or four and the seven, and I get that money up front. So from a wholesaler standpoint, I could take that over and sell that for a couple, three grand and somebody else can do it. Or I can just keep that and build a portfolio of these. And be the lender. It sounds so like a good a way to build some cash flow. Right. So if you're a wholesaler, and let's say, like we were talking about before, Taylor, you might get your closing right might be one in 20 because the wholesale is, you know, you're scalping them from their perspective or mm-hmm. the deal can't be done. Your closing ratio is going to go high. Your marketing cost per de- per deal is going to go lower because you've got more deals coming through the pipeline. And you can do more of these deals if uh, you're or you, more deals if you're using this particular strategy. But how does this uh, does this funnel into you know your uh, note business? Are are these wholesalers then selling these uh, these notes or these contracts uh, to you? How does this factor in? Here? Well, a lot of times they don't understand the process. Mm-hmm. So from the note note guys perspective, I can counsel with or consult with them, you know, just help them to set it up and work it with them. They could give me, they might have a drawer full of leads that are dead and say, if you can work these, Dave, you work them through, we'll split the deal. Mm. I'm good with that. Okay. So it's a win-win. They got dead in, they got, so I'm taking trash leads and working them. Nice. Nice. Or as the economy changes, as we were talking about and people are laid off, all of a sudden they're not so, aggressive in, in, their, in what they're wanting, I call them up and say, well, there's a way you can go if you want to do it this way and we can do it. So, you know, I think that's, you bring up a very important point. You know, we are recording mid-March here and, and the episode is going to be posted in May. And, you know, I'm expecting the economy to continue to slide. I don't think we're going to turn around now. It's We're going to be headed downward. And, if you agree with that, or do you agree I do. with that? Totally. Yep. 
and how yeah. do you see that impacting the notes business and, and how are you preparing your business to cope with that? <clears throat> the existing product that I'm buying, the existing notes that I'm buying, I'm being a lot more conservative in my equity spread, meaning loan to value and investment to value. So therefore, if I can't buy a product, a note, with at least a 60% loan to value or less, I have to play games on what I pay for it to get the investment to value lower to reduce my risks. So mm. if those people go south, I've got enough cushion there to get them out. And if I have to fix the house or wholesale it and still stay whole, does that make sense? Yeah. So what uh, you mentioned, if you have a note that's 60%, so, so like what numbers are you targeting that you think are still going to be sufficiently conservative, but not too conservative so you won't be able to do any deals? Up until this last pool that I've been looking at, I've been buying product assets, notes at 60% loan to value or less. Mm -hmm. There's some that I'm looking at now are at 80 and I don't like that. Yeah. So, but what I can do is just pay a lot less for the note and get my, you know, my skin, have less skin in the game knowing that they might go south the payer, but I've still got enough there to protect me because if you buy a low price note, let's say the note only has a, a balance due of 30 grand and the house is only worth 45. Well, I mean, there's only 15,000 there to protect you. And if, the, if it goes south, well, you could be underwater. But if the house is worth 80 and I buy a $30,000 note, I got a ton, of, a ton of spread in there to protect me. So I'd like to address the concern of sure. loan to value, the loan to value ratio and why that's important to you uh, in addition to investment to value. Because ultimately the investment to value is your, if you got a $100,000 house, but whatever, and you're putting down 20 grand, then your investment to value is 20,000 over a hundred thousand. But say the loan balance is 80 grand. So your loan to value is 80 versus a hundred thousand. Right. So why is that loan to value still important? If you have a built in cushion with your, you know, steel at $20,000 investment. Good value. point. So let's go back to so I was an REO guy, you know, I sold bank owned assets back in the day and how many people walk from their homes a lot, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. Why did they walk? Because they were underwater, meaning that they ended up because the values of, of, the, of the home dropped so much, they owed more than home was worth. They said, well, what's the use? So if you have a big enough spread there, even if the economy drops with value, they're still going to be either at, at par with what they owe. And the, so the propensity or the desire to stay is still there. But if they feel like we're never going to get out of this hole, we might as well just leave. So it's a head game. Yeah. And I, I guess the question comes down to, in your mind, your judgment is how much do you expect the real estate market to downturn in the next recession? Do you expect it to be as bad as the Great Recession or, yes. or worse? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. If you follow Harry Dent, do you know the name? Oh, yes. Yes. If you follow him uh, and several others like them, and you might say, oh, they're just naysayers. Well, I don't think so. But, I, you know, having been through two or three of these and they've been devastating, you kind of look a little bit more and you're a little bit more cautious. You know, you know, 
young guys like yourself, you've never lived it. You don't know. It's like, oh, no, <laughs> we can just keep going. You know, there, it's just, it's just going to continue. That's just the way it's supposed to be. Well, I don't know. And I'm not being – I guess I'm being sarcastic, but I'm not. It's just life. You, you know, you, you, you hope for the best and – or you, what, how do you say it? You plan, for the, you plan for the best, hope for the best, and plan for the worst. Mm-hmm. Okay, no different so. than buying – would, would you rather buy a house at 90 cents or 80 cents? 80 cents. Why? It's a better deal. But why else? You're, you're covered, right? Yeah, that's true. I got more margin in that deal. Right. Yeah. So when you were in kindergarten, did you ever play musical chairs? Kindergarten all the way through college, baby. Okay. So you've got 12 chairs and 13 people. When mm-hmm. the music stops, do you want to be that 13th person without a chair? No. No. That's my point. Hmm. So you're saying in, in your mind, and, and for those listening out there, you, you'd never be able to tell by listening to Dave, but Dave's 70. He's been through a bunch of recessions and you know, we have a lot, to, a lot to learn here. And so we're, like you said, hoping for the best, but preparing for the worst. So you're saying in, in large part, you expect it to be worse than the Great Recession because, well, if it's not, then all right, no big deal. Right. But if it is, okay, you're, you're prepared. Right. But if you, if you interact, well, we were before on the show, we were talking about some other folks, you know, whether mm-hmm. it be the Dykes Botifords or the Pete Fortunatos or whatever, these are all gray hairs like me. We've been there. We've seen it. And we also see what's going on with all the, uh, the fiat currency. Mm-hmm. You can't live like that forever. It just, there's a, there's a day of reckoning. So yeah. without getting conspiratorial or any of that crap, you know, excuse me, but it's you just it's better to be safe than sorry you never miss a deal that you didn't get you will you'll be sorry if you get a deal that you wish you didn't do that is definitely that is a good point and i, I think this is we run the risk though of you know, if we're always looking for you know protecting for the downside we run the risk of and i mean i like the guy but we run the risk of turning into a bit of a peter schiff right where he's seeing a recession around the corner every two months well if right. you, you do that forever, you're eventually going to be right. But, yep. you know, declare yourself a genius when it happens. But if you miss all the upside when things are going up, then you, know, you missed out. So that balance of you're, you're correct. prepared is important. Right. But, I mean, I, in 08, there were so many cats out there that were just fat and happy. Oh, my God. The, they just thought it could go forever. And two months later, they were broke. Mm. So, yeah. therefore, going back to sell or carry – do you think this, I'm setting you up with this question. Is it better to go to the bank and borrow money or to have the seller finance you non-recourse? I'd rather the seller finance me. Exactly. If you're buying a multifamily, do you want it to be a recourse loan or non-recourse loan? Non-recourse every day. So if you're, so therefore would you, if you go to the bank, it's a recourse loan, except in Arizona on a single family, there's no deficiency, hmm. but n- normally in the country, there's a deficiency judgment, right? So you set yourself up. So there's never a deficiency. You can just walk if you have to. It's called CYA. Mm. Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, uh, all the multifamily uh, properties I buy, we do non-recourse debt. And, and I, I think it's a good way to think about it for at least a single family buyer out there is finding a way to get those non-recourse loans. Right. So we're not running as big a risk. Right. Or if you could... 
if you're going to buy a house and you can use outside debt, as an investor, you're going to pay what, 6% single family, five and a half? Probably, yeah. Seven, uh, maybe whatever. a little more. Yeah, probably seven. With 20% down. Yeah. So, or you go to the homeowner and you negotiate 0% for four or five months or more. So you could pay a lot more because that the whole amortization, initially you're paying down all on the P and the principal, right? Mm-hmm. So you could pay more because everything's going to principal on a 0% coupon, 0% rate. And then you could step it up. Then year one, the payment or year two, the payment stays the same, but it might be 2% interest. So you can afford to pay more on seller finance by the way you structure it. Or you could buy a house and let's this, there was a friend of mine, Kevin in Seattle that did this. He bought a duplex. The owner wanted 320. So the deal finally worked out where Kevin, they did structured seller financing. He paid 260. He, I'm sorry, he paid the 320. The first was 260 at 5%. The second, 0% for 10 years and nothing wow. paid. So that didn't hurt him, did it? Mm-mm. That's my point. That's, that's deal architecting. <laughs> and but the seller is happy because they're older they don't they want to avoid the capital gains they want to push it back they've got a cash flow so all the landlords that are out there now a lot of times their returns are pretty skinny would you agree by the time you yeah. get financing or they've got might have all cash and they're really tired of the to- uh, toilets tennis trash termites so what if they can net more without the headaches and you take it over on seller financing Interesting. So, and, and folks are still doing those deals, even though, you know, up until recently, the economy has been, been very good and there have been a lot of qualified buyers. Right hmm. now, but in Phoenix, to be honest, it's really hard to do it because it's just so strong here as we were talking mm, about. Yeah. But in other parts of the country, it's very doable. So you got, it's just the function of your marketing and how you present it. It's all how you cast it. So you set yourself up to number one, be a great negotiator, right? Mm-hmm. So it's negotiation and marketing. I am not in the real estate. You're not in the real estate business. You're in a marketing business. Absolutely, yeah. So it's marketing first and negotiation second. Appealing to their, inst- their, their selfish instincts. Hmm. Dale Carnegie. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. The five steps of selling. Attention, interest, conviction, desire, close. It's no different. Or Voss. The, the, you know, the, the negotiator, his book, mm-hmm. never, never, you know, never split the difference. It's all about that. And then if you're older, like me, it's, it's like we talked about, you know, for me, I haven't hit my peak yet. Like Har- Harvey McKay said, this is fun. It's a blast. You know, I find that very interesting. We talked about this before we started recording that you're 70 and you've got no interest in retiring. I find that very interesting because a lot of people do a job they hate for a long time uh, with just the intent to retire when they hit 60 something. And here you are saying you're never going to retire. You haven't hit your peak. And I just find that fascinating. Anytime I talk to someone like yourself who has the means, but no interest in retiring and sitting on the beach. And I mean, I could travel. I really don't care to do it. I mean, I've been around. I don't, I don't care about seeing the world. It just doesn't interest me. I love Phoenix. I love hiking. 
like spending time with my, my grandson and my daughter. And that's, that's all that matters. You know, I can tell you how not to stay married. So that doesn't fit my box anymore, but it's just, I like what I do <laughs> and, and I'm psychologically unemployable. So I've never had to get that anger towards an employer. Cause I, my employer looked at me in the mirror every day. And it's like, if it doesn't working Dave, then get your whatever in gear. <laughs> nice. Another thing I, I wanted to bring up, and this is a bit of a, a hard <clears throat> shift, but I want to make sure we get to it, you know, before we run out of time here okay. was the concept of a partial Sure. Note. So, can you explain that to us? You explained it to me before, and I think it's yep. really okay. So, for the for the listeners, also, so write down partial, and then write down the word hypothecation. All right, written down. Okay. So, first off, a partial. It means that I am selling or buying a part of the payment. So, imagine a ruler. It's got a notch for each eighth inch, right? And each notch represents a payment. Yes. Okay. So let's say I've got $20,000 into a note and I want to recover that. I will sell enough payments to recover that. So you, the buyer, have me behind you. I'm protecting you because I'm going to own the back side of the note. Okay. Mm-hmm. You, the, pay, the, the buyer of the partial, you can know that you can almost set it and forget it because I'm going to protect you because I'm protecting me selfishly. So if that note goes south, I'm going to step in. We have an agreement on the front end. Let's say the, the guy stops, the payer stops paying at month 40. Whatever you're owed, if he stops paying, I'll either buy you out for that number or I'll continue to making the payments until I make the note good. Let me give you an example. I had a note in Mishawaka, Indiana. It was a little one, 30, 55 grand. And I sold a partial at... $35,000. I recouped all my money. I had no money in the note. I just had that tail. Two years later, the payer who had health issues decided to do a bankruptcy and they mm. called the servicer to say it. So they were behind. So the, the partial buyer was a friend of mine. I could not leave them out to dry. So I said, Pat, every couple months, I'll give you the, the payments to bring you current. In the meantime, I got the, the borrower who's doing a bankruptcy to do a deed in lieu of foreclosure. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I'm continuing making the payments to Pat in her IRA. It's passive. I fixed the house up and resold it. So I sold the home for 70. Pat got paid all of her money. She said her yield at the, at the end of the day, her ROI was 11%. Nice. Yeah. But for her, she could sleep at night knowing that Dave Franicky was there to protect her. I, I think that's interesting. So like what typical terms do people look for? Because I, I, the ruler analogy is interesting. So you're selling off the first eight inches of the ruler worth of payments. and To recover your investment. To recover your investment. and then or, or more. Or more. And then you've got the remaining four right. inches worth of payments. Right. So you know, where... Where in there, what's a typical arrangement for that investor to get their money back? Is that they give you $20,000 and then you agree to pay them based on like a certain rate? Like what does that really look like to the investor? Okay, I'll I'll share it with you a couple ways. Number one, I have a lot of YouTubes out there. 
uh, I had a YouTube channel under Capstone. So a lot of what we're talking about is on there for, for your viewers to go to. So let's give an example. I had a note in Belding, Michigan. And the house is tough, but the payments were phenomenal. And they were, they were good. You could count on them, okay? So I've been advertising starter partials, okay? So the unpaid balance on the note, small one, 18000 no big deal. Mm -hmm. I sold off $12,000. I had uh, $9,000 in the note. So I got my $9,000 back plus $3,000. The partial buyer bought 49 payments of $300.24. I kept the back payments. So at month 50, the partial buyer is paid off. And I start collecting that again. So for me, I was working into my age, you know, in 48 months, then I'll start collecting the payments again. They were happy. Another note I had was in Iowa. Same type of scenario. I bought the note. It was, I got a really good deal on it. I think I paid $6,000 on a $15,000 balance. This is all little. So I'm, you know, I made quick 10,000. I sold the partial for 12. So I got my five back plus $5,000 in my pocket. And at month 42, it'll come back to me. Interesting. So it's definitely a long-term strategy and it seems to all come down to, it's going to all hinge on you getting a good price or a good deal on the front the end. Yeah. Yeah. So the, so the, the interest rate or the, the term, another term is coupon rate, interest rate and coupon rate are parallel. The interest rate on the loan the coupon rate on the loan was 10%. The partial buyer was getting 10% on their money. Mm. So the, all these, so two of the three bought, I did four of them so far this year. They put it in their IRA and they just let it set. Now, the reason they also did it was they want to get my paperwork. What do you mean? Like they wanted to see what your contracts look like and everything? Yeah, because you have to structure, the, you just don't structure these just like, you just, this is not normal. Mm -hmm. So we had the relationship. It's all no like, and trust, just like in your syndications, right? With your, yes. with your investors. So they knew what I do and how I do it. And they, and I advertise it as a startup partial because a lot of people are just like with housing. They're afraid to put their toe in the water <laughs> by buying, true. right? Yeah. And new, so they, they could put their toe in the water by a starter partial they have me behind them, no like and trust. Mm -hmm. They're collecting the payments in their IRA, and I gave them all the docs in Word. Ah, okay. There you go. So they don't even have to like retype them or copy and paste from. They, no, the they got them. So they were uh, one, two. Th there were three of them. They were all new. One was a seasoned, more seasoned investor. Two were newer, but they just wanted to see how I put it together and how I handle it. So it, you could put a, a digit or two. It could be twelve thousand. It could be one hundred and twenty thousand. Doesn't matter. It could be one point two million. It doesn't matter. You could buy. There's going to be a lot of commercial property coming up, especially hotels, right, where the notes are going south. So what if you could get a one point two million dollar note for six hundred thousand dollars? That's a sweet deal. And then you you can make it current, but you bought it with that discount. Then you can sell a partial off that and recoup all your money. So it doesn't matter the size. The principles are the same. Mm. You just need to have the capital ready to go. Right. 
Yeah. Now, you, with the one thing on a partial, you cannot use borrowed funds to, want to, to buy those because then you're creating a security. Ah, okay. Okay. Cannot use par- borrowed. F- so you can't use borrowed funds to buy a partial as in. No, to, when, if you own the note. Okay. And you have borrowed funds to, to buy that, you cannot create a partial. Oh, okay. Okay. So now you're selling a security to, to someone else, to your partial buyer, whoever that would right. be. Right. And stripes aren't fun. <laughs> well, and even to, even to avoid the stripes, the, the legal costs can be very high. And I don't know right. what you'd need to do to set it up, but right. the legal costs in a syndication can be $25,000, which... Just to get out the gate. Yeah. So then again, on my YouTube channel, on the Capstone channel, I have a 40-minute interview where I'm interviewed uh, by my former mentor going over how we structured these. Nice. Folks are going to have to check that out. We're not going to rehash that all here today. Right now, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Dave, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the end, at the end of the show. Okay. Are you ready? Go. All right. <laughs> First one. What is the best investment you ever made other than your education? When I was 36, I bought in Portland, Maine, I bought 23 acres, five acres on an FHA and 18 acres on seller finance. I did a subdivision, created 18 lots. This was in 1986. I didn't know nothing. Okay. (laughs) Yep. Got a hundred percent loan from Maine Savings Bank, and when it was all said and done, this was in nineteen eighty-six dollars. I made three hundred fifty thousand dollars. Nice. Nice. With no money out of pocket, and I got my principal residence out of it too. That is a good deal. On the other side of that, what is the worst investment yeah, you ever made? That one. <laughs> <laughs> with my, in a down market in 07, being highly leveraged and not recognizing it was coming. Because I thought real estate is 35% of the the Phoenix market. How could that ever die? And losing everything. Wow. Everything. Wow. Nine foreclosures. So, in hindsight, what, what qualifies as what qualified as highly leveraged or was there some change that you could have made? I mean, you can't run the experiment again, but something else you could have done to avoid that situation? Greed and fear, risk, reward. I was greedy and I kept on going. I should have backed off and done it more conservatively. I should have gotten cheaper money. I was building houses on hard money. Big oh, mistake. Okay. Big mistake. I would should have been better off to go with uh, with a partnership or something like that. But also just thinking it would never end. Life is good. How could it change? It did. It's like and and I was what? So that would have been twelve years ago. So I would have been what fifty eight. Life can't happen. Nothing. Nothing's going to change. This is too cool. <laughs> Phoenix is growing too much. Nothing's going to change. Huge mistake. Arrogance, a legend in your own mind. Wow. Wow. Well, that's a great one. 
my favorite question at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson that you've learned in investing? Balance your life. It's not all about the money. You got a, you got a kid, be there for them. You got a spouse who's hopefully got a, I don't know, you have a spouse that's uh, maybe not in the game, so play with it, make, make sure it's good, but just don't be so work-oriented and focused, oh, so work-oriented and focused. Don't be so drive, 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 kill, kill, kill type A. When you have a life event, which I had five years ago, as in CA, that makes you look at things. Cancer. And mm. I beat it homeopathically. Wow, you're doing well today? It was gone after six months. Wow. Homeopathically, like we were talking about before the show. Wow. And you're, that'll really, that'll really make you think. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of people don't get out. So there was a, there's still a motivational speaker out there, Les Brown. And I did Amway for six years. It was the best thing for sales training ever. But he used to have a thing when he spoke, mama, it's a great day today. Cause I did, I woke up today and there wasn't a white line around my body. <laughs> That's probably a good way to think about it. You're on this side of the grass. Yep. Yeah. And then it's, it's all about like we were talking about before training negotiation. And to that point with the, you know, and, and now one last thing for your, for your listeners, I have a note investors forum. We've been doing it locally here in Phoenix. Come April 1st, we're going to take it virtual and do a live video stream, probably for 45 minutes, the first Wednesday of every month on notes. Where can they find that? We're going to be putting that out there. Uh, they should probably email me. I'll be putting it on Meetup, and then I'll be emailing the, the folks that are in my, in my MailChimp, if you will, and just advertising it that way. Just start it that way and then grow from there. So they can go to Capstone Capital and opt in to Note Holders Handbook. They'll be on the list. Anything on Capstone Capital and just opt in, that'll work fine too. Okay. They can also, sure. and I'll leave it with this then. They can go to, I was going to give, just give you a number that they could text. Uh, they, can, they can text 480-442-4591 and leave your, your email and your name. Great. Now get them on the list. list. They'll get on yep. the list. They can hear, they can get on the YouTube, uh, YouTube stream. Yep. So 480-442. Four five nine one. Nice, and yeah, I think that's fantastic. You know, there is there just isn't as much out there for note investors as there should be. I, I don't know why, but there just isn't as much marketing out there about notes compared to flipping houses or even syndications like I do. So it's great you're doing that, and uh, I'm sure it's not as sexy. It's, it, I mean, seriously, it's not. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's just paper. Yeah. It's just paper. Yeah. But you use all your other information that you've learned, all the other folders all come to play into this little box. If you work the paper, you, wake, you, you do make more money, just like your syndication is paper. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, it's not as 
Uh, notes are they're not as sexy in a sense but once you kind of learn about the potential upside then they get a yep. lot more appealing and when they pay off early your yield goes through the chart ah man that's great so well thanks for everything today uh everything to to get in touch with you is going to be in the show notes and uh you know hopefully when this goes live things are better off than they could be i agree i agree <laughs> appreciate it taylor all right, Dave. Great talking with you. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's a very big help. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the fold. Thanks for joining us once again. I hope you have a great day and a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you on the next episode. Bye-bye.